This podcast contains language that is not appropriate for children, including Grundlefucker, Bonnie Hari, Dipstick Spunk Bubble, and Andrew Wakefield. What in vaccination? That's that like I, that's a meme now, isn't it? A tarnation. Are we getting tired of it yet? I well, I I guess like I didn't really realize what it was. So yeah, I think I'm tired of it because I don't know if I think it's funny. Can we kill it like the Cincinnati Zoo killed Harambe? Can we just yeah let yeah there it's not there a it joke. Is. It's, it's not it's, funny. There's nothing funny about a gorilla dying. Why would you joke about that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm you not cutting this us off. I know. So many listeners. I know. Sorry. I'm really sorry. All right. Let's. Who who's bringing us this episode tonight? Well, tonight's episode of the Science Enthusiast Podcast is brought to you by Tucker Carlson, host of the Fox News show. In, I mean, it's intelligently named Tucker Carlson tonight. Ladies, you know when you want a sexy 40-something white male who yells over people? The kind of guy who will ask you a question without giving you a chance to reply, interrupt you, and tell you that you're wrong. Someone who is an extreme skeptic, who asks incredibly intelligent questions like, when will the next Ice Age have happened? I mean, we're kind of talking about your dream hunk here. The type of pundit whose chin just kind of gives up halfway through and just turns into his neck. Then you should tune in to Tucker Carlson tonight because fuck you. I like congratulations for just getting it's, it's through that sound paragraph so much better that you wrote. When it airs tomorrow, and I can edit all those pauses out where I was laughing. <laughs> but, they won't even know I'm going to leave this part. Of they're going to be like, that, that sounded great, Dan. Like, what's what's the what's the problem there? <laughs> but I like I like extreme skeptics. I mean, what woman doesn't want an extreme skeptic? Right. Because... We have extreme vetting. Now we have extreme skepticism, which mm-hmm. turns into den- I mean, it's it's code for denialism, which is not unlike <laughs> what the extreme vetting is, because the vetting process already takes almost two years. So I don't know how much more extreme you want, unless you're going to make it like twenty years. And so you know, all these people just you know just die because just you know kick kick it up to eleven. It's their fault really. for living in yeah. in war torn countries. It's not not our fault, not our problem. There's no way that could come back to bite us in the ass. But uh, this video that we're talking about is uh, Bill and I, of course, uh, did a did a live Facebook thing with uh, <laughs> with Bernie uh, yesterday on on Facebook, talking about climate change and things like that. And he goes on like this Tucker Carlson show, who I've not heard of this dude, but apparently he's a thing. He's and a thing, he, a conservative thing. Yeah, and, and yeah. the nicest thing I could say is that his chin just kind of gives up um, because it does. But he's he's just asking just the dumbest questions and then not even giving Bill a chance to respond. And it doesn't make any sense. Uh, this whole thing is, well, how – you know, to what degree have humans affected climate change? Like something that you nobody – a question he knows nobody can answer – and he's using that as his gotcha, like climate change isn't real because you can't tell me to what degree. Like what a what a dumb question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. It, and that's that's this video where he I forget. What did he what did he call um, Bill right in the beginning? He said like he was Bill Nye. The what did he call him? Like the I don't, something guy. I don't he think call- he called. I don't know that he called him anything like that. I know that the video that I found called it was like Bill the Lying Guy or whatever. Oh, Bill Nye the Lying. Uh, yeah, that's which right. Is, and then, which is incredibly yeah. like intelligent and not juvenile at all. Um, no, that's you know somebody but, just had that brilliant idea. Like let's clickbait this video that already is like kind of clickbait. Just, just nine minutes of nine minutes Extreme of a white guy yelling. 
<laughs> Bill Nye. Yeah. But anyway, we have a show to do here. Uh, we do. Hello, we do. and thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Dan Broadman, and as always, I am joined by my awesome friend, Natalie Newell. Hey. So nice to be talking to you as we've been talking for the past, like, what, fucking, like, Ooh, hour, and hour and 40 half. minutes, hour and a half. We've already hour spent a good amount of time together tonight, so this is actually the end of our of our time together Don't but it's the beginning of the show i do this time. i do this this is the thing it's like i see i believe in transparency with our audience like well and hey I, guys, believe in, here's what's happening. I believe in what we talk about in our in our pre and post production meetings that we have like every single night too mind you every night. Uh, so we do <laughs> so many meetings like our meetings have meetings for the show <laughs> but our, our google docs ooh, have google hold docs on. Hold on, what? this is a good segue. Speaking okay. of meetings, mm-hmm. we yeah, yeah. Uh, recently uh, were extended an invitation to join uh, the Blog Talk Radio Network, and Ooh. and and we, you know, accepted because uh, we're whores for money. Is that what we want to say? Just, no, we don't want to say that. We don't want to say that. We, uh, <laughs> we we're we're shills for big podcast. <laughs> No, but uh, nothing uh, about the content of the show is going to change. It's going to be the same um, shit posty, and sometimes we have people we talk who are about, much smarter than us. Yeah, to talk no, that's about every, that's all the kinda, time. All the time, elevate what we do here. Yeah. But uh, they, they go all, high, we go low. <laughs> right. <laughs> the the only difference uh, you will notice in the, the content is there will be uh, some ads in the show. So. Sorry, thank you. But the bonus here, if you don't want to listen to ads, you can become a patron and just bypass all that and get an ad-free version of that. Because uh, So we'll still have those posted uh, on the Patreon page at patreon.com slash TSE podcast. So, I mean, just a dollar and you don't have to listen to whatever it is. We'll, whatever we'll see. It is. We're, we're going to learn about this as we go. So it's a... It's a journey we're taking together, but I still somehow cream, get to talk about. Oh, I wonder. I wonder if they like pick up on like what we talk about or like what the notes say. And oh so if, God! Like, we can like distort like what it's saying to be like something like completely off the wall. We we did an episode where we talked about jizz for like twenty minutes of the entire show. So I don't know what that would get us, but I guess I'd kind of be curious <laughs> to see I'm, what that would get. Us. I'm equal parts curious <laughs> and aroused. So so um. Well, speaking of that, that is, I have no, I have no good Again, segue se- segue, to go. segue, speaking of aroused, why don't you tell us about our God of the Week? All right. So, you know what? This week, instead of an actual God, I'm going with like a saint of the week. And this is thanks to, um, to Emily, who is a, a great friend of the show, who is a great friend of yours. And, um, one, 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 one could say, one can make that argument. And I think she's awesome. And, um, and so she gave the idea um, that there are fucking saints for like every single thing so i remember her saying that there was a saint for like unattractive people and so i looked that up i think my google search today was like weird catholic saints and so i so i come upon saint drogo who is the patron saint of a number of things that don't really go together there's coffee houses ugly people midwives mute persons and cattle like it's well, like somebody cattle, just like, put stuff in a hat. Cattle don't technically speak words, so they don't. I see the connection between cattle and mute people. 
mm-hmm. midwives are kind of dangerous. So, so that is an unattractive quality. What are you trying to say I, here, Natalie? I like, don't, I'm not. Like, tr- I'm trying. I'm trying to just. What kind of like, controversy are you starting here? A big one, a big controversy. So I'm going to tell you all about um, Saint Drogo. So okay, so here's here's where I get the midwife part. Okay, so. His mother died when he was born. So because she had a midwife. The, the midwife fucked up. So um so once Drogo learned the reason for his mom's death, he held himself responsible. So he so he lived his life with all this like I killed my mom guilt. And okay. Funny story, at least that's mm-hmm. consistent with the Catholic faith in that, you know, you're guilt. no matter what you do, you're wrong and you're an evil right. person and you should feel right. so sorry for shit you have no control over. Basically that. So like so there so there's that part. He has he has the, you know, mom kill, you know, mom death guilt. So whatever. He lived his life with that. But so the thing that he was supposedly able to do, um, which I guess earned him the sainthood, because like they're supposed to saints are kind of magic. Right. In my mind, I think they're magic or supposedly magic. So um, Drogo was reportedly able to bilocate, which refers to the ability to, you know, be present in two locations at the same time. So here's the thing, though. Or, Witness, or he lied he, about it or he lied about it. But let's. OK, so so let's imagine. Let's imagine, though, that like witnesses we don't want to invite this. fantasy into a discussion about religion. That's just no, not this is not fair. It's fact. This is all fact. And this happened that that witnesses claim to see have seen Drogo working in the fields and going to mass at the same time. But so like whatever, that's fine if that's what they saw and believe. But my big question is like, okay, if I was legitimately able to be in two places at the same time, I'm not going to fucking pick the fields and church. I'm not going to be in a field like, and be in a church. <laughs> like fuck that. Like no, like let's have fun in two places instead of Oh, I want to work and then I want to pray. It, neither of those things sound awesome. So and pass. I, on I that. will venture a speculation here that maybe these people didn't know how to tell time like exactly. So maybe they're like five minutes off and maybe, yeah. you know, they don't know, you know, what time it is or, you know, they can't write things down. Because, so any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, this, this happens, uh, happened, I'm using huge air quotes, 900 years ago. Happened so, a while ago. You know, it's been yeah. a minute. And it's it's been a minute since he was in two places, two shitty places at once. It's kind so. of like that entire book that was written by people who never saw or talked to Jesus 75 years after he died. Like kind of like that book too. Kind of like that. So, so let me just, I guess, finish up his story where I get to where he becomes later the patron saint of ugly people. Or unattractive people, I guess. Let's say it in a nice way. Unattractive. Come on. Unattractive. Sorry, I'm not going to be a dick here. I know. I'm sorry. So, so okay. So during one of his pilgrimages, um, Drogo, um, and again, like clarification, this is not the Game of Thrones. um, Cal Drogo. um, If anyone was curious, not the same, not the same character. Even though they're both, they're they're both, they're both equally fictitious. Um, I've never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. Well, whatever, that's lame. But so during one of his pilgrimages, he was stricken with this like unsightly, like bodily like affliction. He became deformed and scary looking and everyone was scared. Like the townspeople were afraid of him in his, when he was in his 20s. So he's still like pretty Like this was young sudden, and, sudden, acute onset, ugly? Something. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. The ugly came on quickly. 
you just diagnosed him. He's in his 20s. He's pretty pretty young. So anyways, a cell like they built a cell for him in in the town more to like protect the local citizens of the village like from his disgusting appearance. But um so because, because he that's... was so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm telling the story, dude. Like I'm telling the story. So I'm, because, I'm sorry. And I'm stepping on your like look at look at me. Ste- you're like you don't believe this and you don't you don't believe how special he was. Like he was I'm an so extreme skeptic. You're an extreme skeptic. And since he was so holy though, like they built his cell attached to his church so that he was able like he had no human contact. He had a little window and you want to know what he got for to eat? He had he had barley, he had water, and he had the Eucharist. So he just ate Jesus. And then he died, and then he became a saint. What a so, shitty so, fucking so, life! I mean, he theory. Well, I guess the 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 bread doesn't have yeast in it, so it's not. He can't yeah. even make like make beer out of out of that. No, he. But he, you know, he cannibalized Jesus. Yeah, because that's a that's a thing. Like that's it's not. A, like, it's a thing. That's not like the first thing that made me question like my faith in. My faith in Catholicism. Yeah. So, but anyways, I like I I think that Catholicism is funny because well, for a lot of reasons, but it is they have crazy. they have they have saints for everything. So, um, you know, when you're in the coffee shop or you're thinking about unattractive people, midwives, mute persons, and cattle, um, Cal, uh, I was going to call him Cal Drogo. Saint Drogo is your man to like. Why not Count Drogo? He's, he's why not? Ugly, wouldn't, that, it, wouldn't that work? No, no, the Drogo from Game of Thrones, he's not ugly. I was thinking of, yeah. I, you don't know. You wouldn't I know. Would, I have no you idea. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. It's okay. But um, but thank you, Emily, for um, putting this idea in my head to Google Weird Catholic Saints. Welcome, Dr. Kevin Folta, back to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. You're supposed for... to say friend of the show. Oh, sorry. Friend of the, friend show, of the show, Dr. Kevin Folta, back to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. Um, so for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, but I mean, everyone who's listening should know who he is. Dr. Folta is a professor and chairman of the Horticultural Sciences Department at the University of Florida, and he's an active science communicator. He's a former punk rocker. I mean, we, I think... <laughs> Like, I just want to say that if you listen to episode 15 of this show, you can learn a little bit more about that um, illustrious career of his. And um, yeah, so welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for talking to us tonight. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say former. Oh, know. sorry. Ooh. Sorry. Ooh. So- oh, you can't, I insulted you can the, the guest. Rock out of the punk or. It, yeah, it's not, like you, it's not like you really grow out of that one. I mean, That's for, true. for the most part, it's kind of a built in attitude that probably gets. Uh, drives a lot of the things we'll talk about today. Ooh, <laughs> I can I can definitely see the attitude that. cutting through right now too. Like it's just so edgy. So he he is the punk rock science communicator. Let's just <laughs> let's call it let's call him what he is. So so we we actually had a different show planned for this week, but then saw some some stuff come out over I guess towards the end of last week um, by um, Bonnie Hari, the food babe who is, you know, just trying to expose, I don't know, a new, a new issue <laughs> who, who as, she, as she does at whatever, <laughs> whatever she does. But 
Then, Kevin, you wrote um, what I thought was a fantastic um, post on your blog about everything that had been going on and reached out to you and just said, like, can we talk about this? And, and here we are. So for anyone who has not kind of followed the latest Vonnie Hari debacle on the Internet, um, can you let us know or let our listeners know what's been happening with her? Lately. Well, this is an interesting <laughs> one. It, it, so the, the big problem here, and this goes, my relationship with her goes back a long time, probably to 2014. And uh, she came to my university. Um, I was one of very few faculty who showed up. She spent an hour really misinforming our students. And that, I took that kind of personally as a professor at that university and made some comments on a blog the next day that she found problematic. So this relationship I've had with her goes back a long way. What it was this week was she commented on um, a Snopes article that Snopes had originally reported that there was, uh, oh, uh, there's a report on um, that there's glyphosate. So the active ingredient in the herbicide Roundup found in certain food products. And they said mixed results may be true, may be false. But when I went to look at the evidence they based that determination on, it turns out it was not a scientific report, or as he called it, a study. It was a flyer by Food Democracy Now. And Food Democracy Now is about ever, anything except for democracy, right? They, it's food dictatorship our way now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, they're, they're anti-biotech, they're anti-genetics, modern production practices. They, um, th they were the ones who commissioned this. They paid for a lab in California to perform some tests and allegedly found trace amounts and parts per billion in um, allegedly in a series of food products. And when I analyzed their methods, there were none. When, they man, man, when I analyzed their statistics, there were none. The only statistics that they even reported were um, frequently their numbers were below the level of detection. They didn't talk about replication or any of the things that science uses to really validate an official measurement at the edge of nothing. And um, so I, I notified the uh, author of this, um, Alice Kasparek, Kasparek, and he was good enough to go through the data carefully, analyze all of this, and then kind of change his opinion or change his synthesis in consideration of the evidence and switched from a kind of a mixed opinion to, no, it's a false claim. Now, this went on the heels of Vani Hari saying on her website on foodbabe.com that, aha, look at this, you know, more evidence of herbicide in your food. Uh, what Monsanto doesn't want you to know, right? The old conspiracy. And, uh, and so it was this combination of a author at a place like Snopes that makes evidence-based decisions, correcting an account based on evidence that really got her a little bit upset. And of course, then she turns to me as the problem. Right. So, so the conspiratorial mindset, like just, I mean, she's already in that mindset anyways, but kicks in with, the, with anything with glyphosate and anything with science. And I mean, don't we, don't we want somebody to correct an error in something that they write? I mean, that's what we would want. But she, so to her, it's a conspiracy. But only, only if it agrees with what she wants it to say. Exactly. And then that's how this works, is that if it's, a, if it's information that confirms her bias or her, um, her storyline 
or can sell a product on her webpage, then certainly it's a valid report. If it's somebody who is a, um, you know, who works for the state, who is a, who is a independent scientist who corrects that claim, then obviously they must be part of the system and paid off by Monsanto. Right. And that's the claim that she makes. And so she, you know, we can talk about that if you like, but the major thing is basically I don't, she doesn't come to the table saying, let's talk about those analyses and let's talk about the standards in GCMS and let's talk about, you know, the gas chromatography protocols they used and how they derivatized. It's not about the actual analysis and things I'm familiar with very well. She doesn't want to talk about the science because she can't approach the science. So what she does is she goes after the scientist and takes anyone who is a critic who levies levies scientifically based claims and automatically tries to disqualify them. Well, and something that I think you kind of wrote about in your blog post too is that, you know, you're a public scientist, you're working for the public and there's an element of trust with with scientists and the public. And like people like Vani Hari and what she's doing, she's trying to erode that trust. And I mean that that seems problematic to me. I mean you know, can you like talk a little bit about that? Like, what, yeah. No, this is the huge problem that we have had as scientists, especially public scientists and farmers, uh, that we are not, even though we have, we deserve the public's trust, we really earn it by working for the public, by doing our research on public dollars funded by the public and doing objective research and publishing it in peer reviewed journals with transparency, that we really should have the public's trust. However, we don't necessarily have that. And that becomes because of a long history where science has, or a few scientists have not done the right thing. And in very visible places have been exposed of bending data or changing data in ways that corrupt it and make it untrustworthy. Then on top of that, scientists are not stepping into these conversations in ways that really resonate with the public. We're speaking at the public. We're beating them to death with stats and figures. We're showing them uh, figures in the scholarly journal. Hey, look right here. You know, we're not um, we're not taking the time to share science and and really talk about the wondrous, cool things about science that would earn us that trust. And that's been a mantra of mine over the last really five or ten years. And is really reason I've been targeted so hard by the anti-GMO groups is because we are making a difference in changing the trust of the public. They're starting to finally realize that the scientists who are doing the work on their dime for them are the ones they should listen to, not for-profit web websites uh, driven by internet celebrities. So now she needs to take away that trust. That's the mission right now. And shift it to her. Somebody, somebody who, like you said, can't even begin to enter the conversation to even talk about th these things in the first place. No, that's exactly it. It's um, she can wrap herself in uh, in a halo and say, "Well, I'm just out here for the public good. I just want safe and healthy food." You know, and and I believe that that was at her core at one time, and I do believe her and her honesty it, when she says that that's what her motivation was. And that's my motivation too, by the way. I'm really concerned about the environment and concerned about people's health, uh, health in the industrialized world and in the developing world and uh, farming sustainably. That's like the, the core of what I do all day, every day is talk about these issues and work in research as a department chair and researcher for these issues. I walk the walk. 
her whole thing is it really changed and that it wasn't just about advice and guidance. It became into this uh, very aggressive activist movement of defamation against companies that she felt were putting additives in food that she felt were inappropriate. The azodicarbonamide in Subway bread comes to mind. Um, safe food colorings in other places. But what she really got uh, really got upset about is when uh, sci- she's really been much more aggressive in, in a very uncharacteristic and kind of a weird, suspicious way. She's been really aggressive with folks like me who simply are trying to communicate science. And uh, the same thing has happened, coincidentally, with her decline in relevance and her hits and traffic. So I think it speaks very clearly to this strategy as not being a good one to take on. Yeah, and I, I think, um, again, in your post, you wrote about, like, her failures are essentially due to science and science communicators being more successful and being better now at speaking out and communicating. And so it has to be really frustrating for her to have lost some of that ground in a sense like with the fear tactics and everything but i'm just like it's just like she popped back up with what happened like this past week and so what are your thoughts on what like what's going on with her it's really weird because back when so last year back in april and may maybe even earlier than that i started receiving freedom of information act requests from her and so the university, uh, as a public scientist, my emails may be um, obtained by anyone who's interested to see what kind of fun I'm having and, um, you know, reading my boring, you know, hundreds of emails that I need to deal with every day. Um, she requested them and has received something like 30,000 pages of my email. And um, she was very public about this. Clearly, it's because Monsanto is behind pulling his strings and telling him to go after me and... Uh, she had this big thing on, on her website last year. And when you read through it, she's quoting me of saying things like, and I don't have it in front of me, but she would like say, and then he said, Vani doesn't have any training in formal food science. And she's speaking like an expert when she shouldn't. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's extremely <True>. accurate. <laughs> fact, not alternative fact. That's a real fact. So I'm reading all of these things that she, all these quotes that she pulled of me and I'm shaking my head. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and then, um, and then, uh, and then she gets, and so she said, that's why I'm foyering him, uh, to obtain all of his emails. And so she got all my emails, um, probably 30,000 or so. Um, each one has to be read by an attorney because attorneys have to redact student information and like confidential information with regards to inventorship and proprietary information, none of which I really have in there. Um, but yet she, since an attorney has to look at every page, you can imagine how many tens of thousands of dollars it costs the taxpayer to go on a search for someone who has no allegations of doing anything incorrectly. I mean, when they went through my emails before the whole big blow up in, in New York times last year, um, they went through this gigantic, what they called an expose and scandal, yet never showed that I did anything wrong or never did anything inappropriate. I mean, what they showed was that I, I'm a scientist who interacts with companies now and then, which is my job. So she, um, she uh, got all my emails and uh, proceeded to uh, play with those in this most recent dust-up, which was kind of boring, but at the same time, really uh, horrific. So... Like, what is it with 
with her, with you, that, like, that she just needs to continue to essentially first, like, waste people, waste money on trying to dig for something that doesn't exist. But, but just bringing, bringing you, like, why, why, why does she care? Or do, does she really care? Is this just, just part of, the, of her the, tactic? The mean girls, why are you so infatuated with me? <laughs> well, I, I don't know that it's, and, that, and this is why I'm really curious, is it goes back to that Freedom of Information Act request. She gave a form that was identical in content and in format to the one that came from USRTK, which is the activist organization that's paid by the Organic Consumers Association, uh, the uh, Bonner Soap, all these other uh, organizations, corporations that pay them to harass scientists. And under the guise of we're just trying to make sure everything's okay. You know, they took my emails and created a story that was false and defamatory and, and it's caused me tremendous career harm. Um, at, and in some, some circumstances, certainly, um, she, uh, said me too. And so she decided to take all my emails and now she's in the process after going through 30,000 of them, realizing there's nothing there to report. So she basically did followed the lead of the previous smear campaign and basically cut and pasted. I mean, she did exactly what they did. Um, and it, and it, and it's just as boring and just as sad. Yeah, and like I mean, like you just said, uh, whenever I read through your blog this week, it's literally like they're bringing up the twenty five thousand dollars from Monsanto that never actually got sent through, and talking about all these all these things. And like you said, it's the same talking points, but now we're trying to put a different spin on it. And there's like you said, there's there's nothing there, and she's she's not doing this from a place of genuinely trying to learn or trying to, like you said, protect people. It's more of a, it's about her. It's about her image and her brand and making her look good at the expense of trying to make you look bad. Well, and at the expense of science and the truth. Yeah, absolutely. That when I, you know, when I correct the record to say, you know, let's look carefully at the techniques used, the standards used, um, the way in which they're using this technique to identify trace compounds um, how, do you, how do you do that? And it's really a specific technique, and it's very, very precise, very, very difficult. The people who are good at this, it's much more of an art than a science. And I don't know, you know, I'm not an expert in this area, but I know how it's done because I interact with those folks. It takes a career to be an expert in that area, and I understand it very well. Um, they have no clue, and I pointed that out. And even the company that did it, you know, they had some weirdnesses about it, too. And they say, oh, it's not our responsibility to divulge Food Democracy Now's data or our information. So there's no backup on that information. Um, but going back to your the point, here I corrected the scientific record. And so her thing now is we need to, to discredit the person who is speaking about science. Since we can't address the science, you know, create the ad hominem. And, uh, you know, just the best one, my favorite email in that group was, oh, we can maybe talk about that in a minute, but it, her whole thing is any way you can, this is what they did before, any way that you can connect a scientist to Monsanto, even if it's an email from someone they never met, who someone from Monsanto who said, hey, dude, nice job. Thanks for talking about this on the podcast. They will take that and say, aha, here's evidence of deep collusion. 
Well, and what I don't understand is so they they use Monsanto, which yes, is a is a corporation, whatever, but but the organic industry is an industry in itself. And like US right to know and all of this, they're doing work on behalf of, you know, what is essentially an industry. So why so that's okay, right? Because it's like natural and it they're saving the world or something, one organic food at a time. Like that that just doesn't add up to me, but they've they've cultivated this more wholesome, I guess, reputation for themselves, and then they've created the monster. Well, as, the I mean, side. because as we all know, Whole Foods is just giving away food for free. They're they are. I, I go in there, money. they just yeah, shopping carts full. Just yeah, that's it. But so so how how did that happen? I mean that you know they're they're good and they're doing some they're doing a service. Food babes are doing a service. <laughs> <laughs> it ties back in with what we started talking about in the beginning, is that when scientists and farmers and physicians and uh, even science nerds uh, failed to step into the discussion, it left this vacuum void for charlatans like Mercola and that avocado guy and uh, Bavani to step in and, and grab that market share and sell products around a basis of fear. And selling, you know, BS remedies, selling uh, false claims. And so when scientists finally do get our heads on straight, we step into this connection, into this discussion, trying to connect with the public and and tell them about evidence-based decision-making, about science. Um, It it shatters their brand and it takes away from their revenue stream. Um, They're the ones who are working for money by spreading false information. Scientists are working for the public to try to correct that false information. And that puts us squarely in the target. And then when they have access to our emails and can cut and paste stories out of them, that leads us in a very vulnerable position. Well, and like you even said, she didn't even do it like sequentially in order. She used an email from, you know, however long before and then puts it after. Again, this is all things that have been previously released, puts it after you know, where you said, I'd be glad to write, uh, you know, whatever you want, then puts something out of order to make it look like something that it's not. And why all the deception if you're telling the truth? Like, why do you have to, like, bullshit us here? Well, that one's the most hilarious one, and it really hurts. Um, people have glued those lines on pictures of my face and stuck it all over all over YouTube, all over uh, the Internet. And it's really harmful to somebody who works for the public and who's trying to earn the trust and who shows up at the schools, who shows up and judges the science fairs. You know, not all faculty do this at major universities. And I spend ridiculous amount of time doing, time doing outreach and, and, and doing things to, to do this. A lot of that has ended since this, by the way, not since Vani, but since that first thing. But the thing that was really damaging is um, I got an email from a woman who works at Monsanto. Now, all of us in plant biology, no matter what, if you've been in plant biology for 30 years, you've had classmates, friends, associates, whatever, they end up working at companies. Somebody does, right? And so we all know people who work at Dow, Bayer, Monsanto, BASF. We all know those folks. Little bits here and there, even if we have no research agreements, we know people. We're, we're acquainted with people. And a friend of mine reaches out and says, look at this horrible ad they're running on television in our community. And it was a, uh, a guy who, an anti-GMO guy who we all know, who has a glo- rubber glove on one hand with blue corn kernels, which are corn kernels out of the bag treated with a fungicide 
and they're blue so that farmers know they're treated. And then the other one, he just has corn kernels. And he says, which one would you rather feed your family? The one with Agent Orange in it? Now, I mean, it, it was such a blazing distortion and such a lie because those weren't what you would feed to your family. They're what you would plant in the ground. They were covered with seed protection that would protect the plant. They were, you don't need a rubber glove to hold them. Um, it's not Agent Orange. He lied, lied, lied. And this is in shocked uh, 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 the people who saw that commercial. So my friend who works for Monsanto was communicating with other people and said, could you please, um, can we organize scientists to either write an op-ed or uh, sign a petition? Because this is unfair to do this and scare people like this. And my email response to that was, sure, I'll be happy to write whatever you like or sign on to whatever you like. And then if you read the rest of that email, it kind of even says, you know, Ray and his seeds, you know, I mean, but she highlights that line, a yellow highlight, and then highlights Monsanto in the name of the person who sent it. The idea was, was to create this idea that I was somehow uh, their complicit little uh, whatever um, uh, uh, spokesperson who was going to just do whatever they wanted, which is the biggest BS you will ever hear. Because I don't work for them, I've never worked for them, and I don't even care if they're around or not. My mission is no different. But because I, th- I think most people might not even know, like you don't even work with corn or anything. That your research is involving strawberries. So, like, can you tell me? And we, Natalie and I, talked about this before. This is don't laugh. This is serious. Okay, sorry. Like, this is how impo- much this is, is big strawberry paying you to be here tonight? Well, I, I, in full disclosure, and you can find this on my website, if you go to kevinfolta.com slash transparency, you can find every single grant I ever received and every single reimbursement since 2013 that you can find out who paid for the coffee, who paid for the cab, who, uh, and what you find out is that I do something for the public once every three days, as, a, as even though I, and this is aside from my full-time job, uh, full-time jobs, uh, as a researcher and department chair, I do something on average every three days, and you see, I basically get paid zero to do it. Well, I mean, that's exactly Off- what I would expect uh, a, a shill for Big Strawberry to say. So, thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. Back to Big Strawberry. I do get money from the Florida Strawberry Research and Education Fund, which means that our strawberry um, industry. They're really excited about ways to cut inputs, meaning cut fertilizer and insecticide. They want to know how to have more berries earlier. They want to know how do we grow them organically better. Our industry pays a lot of money to researchers to help develop better resources for an industry that's under tremendous challenge right now from floods of cheap berries coming in over the border. So uh, our industry is, is very willing to fund research, and it should, and I'm very grateful for their support. And, and yet, still, with, with all of that, I mean, you're, you're doing work that is beneficial for, I mean, for our food supply, really, is what a lot of this biotech research and development is, is doing, yet it's demonized by people like Bonnie Hari and her, and her brand or, whatever, or the other people who have organizations around these issues. And... It's all based in just misinformation and myths. And I mean, what what do you think's going on with her and her? Yeah, just her general brand and where where this is going. Like, what 
what comes next from somebody like her? Well, it's a really interesting thing, and I and I don't mean to get conspiratorial. I you know I don't mean to fight a conspiracy with a conspiracy, but I've seen a lot of weird things happen with her. You know, she started out as kind of this humble, you know, let me uh, l- let me help you find a way from you know here's my experience, here's what I know, here's what I've been through, and uh, here's how we can go together to you know eat healthier and make better decisions, and that kind of morphed into this weird activism vein of let's take on big food. Let's take, you know, ingredients we don't understand out of food. Let's, you know, and, and then all of the rather um, inflammatory rallying um, of um, folks around uh, using the internet to really coerce and bully companies into doing what she says, or else you would get, you know, fried on the internet. You would get, you would, you would scare the hell out of parents because you have some ingredient that she doesn't understand. And it was working. I mean, you could scare people into taking action. We know that. You know, it's, it's kind of a low-level terrorism. And I even called her a food terrorist for a while. But now she kind of switched. And somewhere, in, like when she first started going after me, her tone changed. And she didn't sound like Vani Hari anymore. She sounded like the Organic Consumers Association and, almost, and like a GM Watch. It sounded like those folks who are really aggressive are mean before they are um, thinking and are just defamatory and, li- and libelous. They don't care about the truth. It started to sound more like them. And I don't know if she sold the brand to them and said, here, you guys go for it. And then, you know, retired. I don't know. Or if, or if they have really co-opted her into that mindset. Um, she shows up on Alex Jones before she shows up on any mainstream media. So I'm really thinking that there's something going on with, you know, she's either making more money by dealing in the conspiratorial vein now that her interest and impact have fallen away or, or you know, or something. But she's not the mainstream Vani that you Has she been on Alec Jones? Yeah. Yes. She's... Are you... <laughs> yep, she has okay. been. So, okay. oh, oh, you didn't know? Yeah, she I did not know been... that. That's new to me. She yeah, has she been on Alex it. Jones, yeah. She was on uh, Alex Jones and... On Coast to Coast AM with uh, George Norrie. <laughs> I used to listen to that show when I was 12 at, in like the middle of the night, and I thought it was great. I never once thought it was like true. I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was fiction. I thought that's that, that was the goal. And not until I was like in my 20s, somebody was talking about it. I was like, wait, no, that, that was like people like they were being serious. Like that's like a real thing. Like, come on. But that's what but makes yeah. me laugh so hard. When when you have people yeah. like Vani and uh, Jeff Smith, uh, the uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Smith, when you have her and Jeffrey Smith on right after, you know, like George Norrie will say, uh, right after this update on Bigfoot, we'll talk about the crash at Roswell. <laughs> then up next, Vani Hari and poison in your food. You know, so I'm going, okay, yeah, this has kind of gone full circle. Yeah, no, she's right, she's right in there. But no, when I when I saw that she was on Alex Jones, it's like, Oh man, I mean. Oh well, I got I got my plans set for the rest. Yeah, you you know what you're doing. You're you're looking up those videos. Yeah. So then, Kevin, my question too is like, obviously, you like she's been really, you know, involved with wanting to know your business and all that kind of stuff. Like, have you guys ever had communication, or like, has she ever tried to just reach out to you like a normal human instead of being like, I'm gonna FOIA this guy's like you know, thousands of pages of emails. Like, uh, She's never personally reached out to me, but I've written her twice and uh, to the email address that comes with the FOIA material. And, and um, 
I've always, and I've even written on my blog, you can go back and read this before, is that here was somebody who kind of with very minimal um, background in an area became a, a, a superstar who became a sensational personality in, in the internet space. And can you imagine the power of that if it was used to really share quality information about improving our eating habits as a nation, about how to you know, help kids make healthier food choices, how to, um, how to think about farming's real risks and real benefits and make good decisions around uh, keeping the environment safe. She could have, and I told her this, I said, you know, Vani, you obviously um, have a gift of persuasion. You have a gift of talking to people. Um, I, I never thought she was super bright. You know, you get that in interviews, but she could connect with people. And that's, that's a skill few people have. And plus she had a huge audience. And if you were to use that audience, if she were to say, um, okay, I'm sorry, I really made a mistake, that I really want to follow the science because the scientists are on the same, want the same thing I do, safe and healthy food. And I'm going to work with people like Fulta or whoever. I don't know, it doesn't even have to be me. Work with scientists and we're going to um, fact check my work. And I'm going to work extra hard to put great information out there for people to understand. Her stock would go through the roof. And I told her that. I said, you know, this is your chance to kind of really reinvent yourself. And I was very kind about it. I, I have no, I mean, I, I, ha, I, I, I wish her well, and I really hope that someday she apologizes, and I hope someday she would contact me and turn it around. Yeah, because, I mean, honestly, like, I, because I think I personally, like, I would embrace a change of heart from her or any person like that who says I've, you know, I've reexamined my views on something. Like I've changed my worldview. Like I am interested in actually in what's evidence based and true. And and it's unfortunate though when somebody is so able to persuade people to then just use it in that way instead of you know for good. And yeah, but that's the point. And that in that. If that people love it when someone says I'm wrong and I made a mistake and come out, look what look at Mark Linus. I mean, a guy who was yeah. the biggest anti-GMO guy out there. Who, when he made the mistake and he came up in Oxford and said, "I've really made a horrible mistake and I'm sorry for what I've done," his presence now is much more credible and he's very well sought after, and uh, and is an incredible voice for science. Yeah, so it's like it's possible, you know, <laughs> but. But yeah, I with with her, I I don't necessarily have a strong amount of hope. But but at least we can see that it is possible. But now I think another important aspect to all of this is the idea of like standing up for science, right? I mean, that's in the atmosphere right now, and like being vocal and being out there with like making evidence a priority and critical thinking and all that good stuff. So. So what, like, what are your thoughts about where, where this, like, where do we go as far as being evidence-based and advocating for science in our current climate? Well, I think it's more important. I think it's very important for scientists to, uh, as I wrote in an article on Huffington Post, express their rage wisely and that marches are nice. You know, you can, you know, you can go march with a sign and be counted and, you know, have a weekend in Washington. Great. Good on you. But what I think this will change this is a sustained effort by science, by a scientific community, and by science enthusiasts 
who don't just take a day in April to go march with a sign, but who volunteer at their schools, who raise money to buy that microscope and show the kids how to use it, to volunteer to work at science fairs, to, um, to encourage a wider participation in scientific dialogue, to write the blogs. I think it would be so exciting to have science enthusiasts, everybody who's out there who has a voice and an opinion and an idea based on evidence, to put that information out there. Um, guys like me, I, I go on Twitter and I love reading other people's work, but I don't always have time to write it. And if I can share your work, that's a huge thing for me. And, um, and so it, it's a question of having more people as part of the conversation from the evidence-based side. So as many people speaking out as possible and speak and sharing information and credible information, right? And, and especially in response to things that happen in, in science, whether it's climate and things that are happening with Michael Mann, you know, whether it's a situation like what happened to me the other night. You know, when the New York Times thing hit a year and a half ago, you could hear a pin drop, except for a few folks like Allison Van Eenenem, Stephen Novella, David Gorski. There was a lot of folks who stood up in science and got really ticked off. But our national organizations didn't want to get involved. Um, science journalists didn't want to get involved unless they could jump on the smear too. Uh, David Kroll wrote a beautiful piece that said, here's what they missed, here's the facts. So the trick is, is we need to be out there and monitoring the scientific discourse, especially the the work that maligns science and scientists and uh, scientific pursuits. And we need to be out there vocally correcting these things and providing the information for people who just don't know who to trust. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think that's an important message for like anybody to hear. And, and obviously it's like, you know, this is why we wanted to have you come and talk to us because it's like any time or any platform that the, you know, on which these stories can be shared is important. So, you know, I value that we have, that we have the ability to help tell some of these stories. Well, and that's why I'm so grateful that you guys would have me on so soon. I mean, I think that just the other night seeing those emails and that same tired um, uh, defamation show up again is, is, it's so sad because somebody will read that in my community. And somebody will say, isn't this the guy who comes to our schools? Um, he can't come to our schools. We don't want Monsanto indoctrinating him, indoctrinating our children. And then the school doesn't ask me to come anymore. And it already happened that way. And uh, I used to go all the time. And now it's pretty rare. It's when specific teachers ask me to come. And, uh, but this is, the, this is the danger of having that kind of uh, blatantly false information out there. It, and it, it's horrible what happened. And for every, every, every one person who reads my rebuttal, there are a thousand eyes reading her, her blog because she has, still has a little bit of gravitas in that circle. Well, so, hey, everybody, share this podcast and like, but, and like, and share Kevin's blog posts about it. I mean, because that's what it is, is it, it's as many people as can, you know, can share this information as possible. Um, because, yeah, people like her and people like, you know, all of the organic, you know, industry people, they have big, big followings. They have all of that money and all the people behind them. And for us, it's a little bit more like grassroots type of 
you know, getting the information out there. So, yeah. <laughs> we're in our basements. <laughs> it, it, we're in our, I'm in my basement, you know. <laughs> well, the, the other important point, too, is, you know, we, get, we do have to be a little careful when we talk about organic and what happens there. Because, uh, you know, I work with a lot of the best organic researchers in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited that people are studying ways to farm with less, or especially in places where people have no resources, uh, such as synthetic chemicals, ways that you can still farm productively. And I adore that people do that. And I'm glad they do it, and I'm glad farmers make money doing it. The problem is when you turn that practice, which is a very good ecological practice that I adore, into a money-making center that you construct a halo around. So in other words, that's what it is. Yeah. Our thing is superior because we put the O word on it. And, um, and, and really, it, you know, it's identical and same thing. Um, we put the O word on it and the other stuff is poison and you will die if you eat it and your kids will grow an arm and your, well, another arm. I mean, statistically though, everybody will die. Yes. So they're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, there's, there's still, there's still a significant population that has not yet, uh, provided data for that that conclusion, <laughs> <laughs> myself included. <laughs> but but this it's it is important for us to keep it real with that too because I'm I'm uh, you know I I think it's great that farmers who want to grow who want to farm any way they want to farm using any production means they want to do if it makes them money to certify their farm and have certified products and allows them to stay profitable that's a priority for me. And, uh, you know, I adore those folks and uh, I work for those folks. And so it's, it's, it's a sad byproduct of this discussion that when you have someone like Vani or anybody, Organic Consumers Association is the worst, who are exploiting that halo to create a market or to tarnish the reputations of scientists, it almost makes organic look sleazy. And it makes... It makes the whole, uh, since they wrap themselves in their veil, in that veil, it makes them all look guilty and it makes them all look complicit. And I think that's really unfortunate because there's a lot of people out there in the organic industry who don't agree with this treatment of scientists. Well, Dan, do you have anything else? I mean, I think, Kevin, like, I know you have a million things or a hundred and something things on your to-do list for tonight, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I'm really glad that we were one of your things on your to-do list tonight to talk about this. Um, and yeah, I'm, oh, and actually, I guess I, if people want to follow you on the internet, like, where can they find you? because I want them to follow you. The best place is to follow me on Twitter at Kevin Folta, at K-E-V-I-N-F-O-L-T-A. And you can Google my name and every other thing is kind of positive. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, I've got a, um, the best place to follow me is just on Twitter. And then uh, the blog is called Illumination. And uh, if you're interested in the research and uh, you go to KevinFolta.com, you can read a lot about what I do, why I do it, and um, the people who've been through my lab, a uh, wonderful family who are doing beautiful things in their own labs now. So very proud of that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll have links to everything, um, you know, regarding Kevin in our show notes. And uh, yeah, thank you for coming back and talking to us again. Thank we you. really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you so much. This week, we love the internet is the Twitter account yahoo answers.txt. 
And who do we have to thank for sharing this with us? So we have our friend Tom Williamson, who does the Skeptic Canary podcast. Um, he's a he's a British friend of ours, and uh, he he gave us a a Twitter account that made me actually LOL. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did, but did you LMAO? <laughs> um, I just I just L O I just LOL'd, but okay. but like but but pretty vigorously. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. Um, So the description is real questions from Yahoo Answers that we can all relate to. And then the best part, maybe, DMs are open. So direct (laughs) message, I guess, if you have your own own question. So the one, though, that that Tom, like, posted when I (laughs) – I I, I asked people on my – on Facebook, like, hey, who has a reason why we love the internet? So he – you know, he puts a link. I open it. And so – so what it says is, this is actually a question that somebody submitted to Yahoo. Um, how can I get back at my mom? <laughs> Sorry, I can't See, I was, I was about to say, you get a like, raise. You, you might, you'll get. I can't. Like 1%. You'll get 81% of what I make. <laughs> if, but no, you're still stuck at 80%. So it how, says, how can I go. get back at my mom without shoving pizza crust up my butt? Like that's. <laughs> That's a that's question. A, that's a real question that, somebody asked. That's a question that somebody and in the top reply. I'm gonna need some context for that one. <laughs> I don't know what context you would need. And the top reply to that is a screenshot of the question: How to get pizza crust out of my anus? Question mark. So we, we took a declarative statement, but <laughs> added how to it. And oh god, I, I just that's, I. Maybe That's somebody what, joking. Maybe they're not. It's just my experience with humans is maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, and then then you just you go to the the actual Twitter feed and scroll through some of these, and like I don't know. There's like I have found a weird looking rock with an exclamation point and a question mark. Or where can I meet fine? It's supposed to say fine ass bitches on Yahoo Answers. I'm looking for a real love. And the punctuation on some of these things is cringeworthy in itself. So uh, how do I get my dad not to dance when I'm trying to do homework? That's a question everybody asks, I guess. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and some, I mean, some of these are obviously just made up or, I mean, yeah. you're going to run out of content <laughs> and recycle stuff a little bit. Yep. <laughs> do you do you see the one about looking like an anime doll? Yeah. Okay. I, I I just I don't just after after what I the the <laughs> the vegan website that shared hentai porn as a, oh. as a criticism of the dairy industry. After that, I'm yeah. I, I'm just gonna steer clear from. Uh, just not not gonna do that. Okay. Yeah, well, this one this one. I just... mean, check out my Instagram if uh, you want to follow up on that. <laughs> it's it's there at Asi Enthusiast. But uh, I'm sorry right, so in here, advance. Here's like an here's an innocent one that's just like I've got lead in the school musical question mark like <laughs> Yahoo answers. Somebody These give are... that person some answers. If well, Jesus I, ro- yeah. rose from the dead, why can't I? Ooh, there's a there's a question. I mean, somebody like statistically, somebody would have had to because there have been billions of people that have existed, and then in the since that time. So I mean, you would think things would replicate, right? 
right? If they really yeah, happened right, in the first place, right. Right? It, it really it really happened in the first right? place. Come on, fact, fact. It's a fact. All right. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other ones that I. Okay, some I don't know what some of these mean. Okay, well here's one. Here's one about a cat that you'd probably maybe you maybe you asked this question. My cat looks at me like she loves me, and it scares me. Like you have yeah, to say everything have with a question. Cats. No. Oh yeah. Okay. Never mind. So that male that wasn't cats are you. supposed to be more friendly. So. Oh. Okay. Well, women should always be naked when indoors. That's a question. That that is that is approved. Put a, <laughs> the, a stamp the on answer that. just yeah just yes. Why do Scorpio and Libra girls make me so goddamn horny? Are penis pumps really that dangerous? Because planets. <laughs> Because astrology is real. That's why so much real stuff. Yes. So, so yeah, people actually ask these questions on the internet because that's... The internet is get, a wonderful place. Yeah. You get all your answers from the internet and from Yahoo Answers in particular, clearly. Um, and if you have any submissions for... The Why We Love the Internet segment, you can send them to us at podcast at asciententhusiast.com. And while you're on the internet like doing shit like that, I mean, you know, check out our podcast page at scienceenthusiastpodcast.com. You can check out Natalie's page, Skeptical Parenting, me, Science Enthusiast. You could also, you know, hop over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash TSE podcast to get access to all sorts of good stuff, early uncut episodes, long cut episodes. I mean, medium cut, I guess, sometimes. I don't All know. Sideways cut. cut. I don't know. I don't know how you cut one of these episodes. You don't actually, it's not a physical thing that happens, but you know, I don't know. That's what people say. So I say it and just repeat it because I'm a sheep. But if you, I mean, if you don't want to be like Michael, Trevor, Alice, Michael, Michael, and another michael felix amanda chris james sarah or jose can't forget about him i mean just tell your friends about us or leave us five stars or no stars or you know stars because i i mean correct me if i'm wrong but like still like a four stars better than like no stars right because then you have four more stars right that's That's true right i I think that's math that's evidence-based i think so yeah I think I did everything. I don't know. I, I went way I, off script here. I, I think so you did I everything. Think I hit everything. I think you I did. You hit all the points. Do you want I me to hit so. you with a quote? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is an absurd one. And that is Voltaire. And thank you to friend of the show, James Williams, for submitting that quote. See, look, we're using all the friends of the show. I like having just, friends of the show. Or right? crowdsourcing. We're crowdsourcing. Our, our friends are smart people that give us good information. So next week we have a, we have a friend joining us um, who we, we kind of teased this episode last Oof. week. But Oof. Yeah, we, 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 we bumped him this we week. Did. For, uh, but, yeah. For but, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't think you can really complain not, about getting bumped for Kevin Polta, though. Let's be honest. No, so, so we've got next week we have our awesome interview with the amazing Miles Power. Um, and... Yeah, and I and we're gonna, I'm gonna do something a little different for the God of the Week next week, and I'm gonna bring back our other friend of the show, Matt O'Neill, to share a Jesus story like you've never heard before, and I've heard it. You're gonna hear it next week, and it's amazing and disgusting. I was say, is that a threat or is that a promise? Because it sounds like a little both. It's a little bit of both. It is absolutely a little bit of both, and it's. I hope it's good for you. 
It's good for Jesus. <laughs> I there's there's a few, hmm. I have like five jokes colliding in my head right now. <laughs> it's just like this, yeah, big bang of jokes up in there. <laughs> that was one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. you already you just gave us a quote, didn't you? So I was about to say, hey, hit us with a quote. You already did that. Part. I already did. I already did it. So, um, so we're done. So yeah, we're All done. Right. We're done. That's a wrap. It's ten o'clock. I'm like. It is. It's ten o five. That's ten. Calling it ten o'clock is is an alternative fact. I'm sorry. That was not an evidence based statement that I made because I look. I'm looking at my clock and I'm down here. No, I'm looking. I looked at it. I saw ten o five. I'm just like, let's just round it down to ten. I lied to you. I'm sorry. Could we build trust back for next week? Do this. Can we do this again? Maybe. I mean, maybe. Maybe like. You want to think about it? I'll think I've about it. I've not looked at myself. My hair is like... Puffy? This is, this is, yeah, it, it's like... That is something. What is that? It is. It is, it, <laughs> well, it is it's all like that. It just doesn't look like that whenever... Oh, I've like I've never seen... Look at that. That's a lot yeah. of hair. Yeah. Well. Well, we're still on Facebook, so... <laughs> so, so we should get off Facebook. I'll delete my yeah. account here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for, thank you for, uh, you know, for doing this with us. Yeah. Dealing with us. Every yeah. Week. Or I'm sorry. And um, I'm sorry. I, it's it is definitely a little bit of both all the time. Thank you. Sorry. And we hope you come back because maybe it'll get better. Right. Maybe it'll get better. I mean, when you start <laughs> at the bottom. Only up, only up. The music you heard tonight was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can contact Adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com. This podcast is property of Not Narrow or Straight LLC, all rights reserved.